Dr. Jacob here with MedPod 101. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and if you do, there are more episodes available for purchase on iTunes. Simply search MedPod 101, and you'll find our complete episode archive split into Part 1 and Part 2. Both of these albums are available for purchase on the iTunes Store. Hello and welcome to MedPod 101 Podcast. Listening to this podcast is like making a wrestle with your best friend with no clothes on. Very fun. Dr. Jacob here today with an episode on hyperkalemia. Kalium means potassium, so hyperkalemia means too much potassium in the blood. The suffix emia is derived from the word hemia, and hemia means blood. So hyperkalemia, too much potassium in the blood. A normal potassium ranges from 3.5 to 5 milligrams per deciliter. Mild hyperkalemia is 5 to 6, moderate is 6 to 7, and severe is greater than 7 milligrams per deciliter, or any changes on the EKG. As you'll see, symptoms of hyperkalemia are primarily EKG changes in terms of cardiac toxicity and actually lead to cardiac arrest. In fact, a potassium infusion is one of the ways in which lethal injection can be accomplished. Hyperkalemia is usually a topic that arises in an emergency department or inpatient or even critical care setting. Rarely, however, outpatients will be walking around with some condition that causes their hyperkalemia, and if There are EKG changes that are characteristic of this, or blood work that shows this, and these tests happen to be done on an outpatient basis, and the patient needs to be contacted as soon as possible and asked to show up at the emergency room. Of course, the severity of the patient's problem depends on how mild, moderate, or severe the hyperkalemia is. Now let's get to our case presentation. Hola, Dr. Jacob Blank. Today I brought with me my uncle Jesus, He has bad diabetes and he's like on dialysis. He ate some potato chips that wasn't part of his diet or something. And now like he's not feeling too good. We brought him to your emergency room so you can give him a good checkup. Can you please check him out or something? Okay, he's been on dialysis for how long? Oh, it's been many years now. He knows he shouldn't eat no potato chips or nothing, but he couldn't help himself. He got loose in the 7-Eleven. Are there any particular symptoms besides just generally not feeling well? No, doctor. He just feels really crappy. Actually, he told me that, like, he's having some, not chest pain, but he feel like his heart skips a bit from time to time just since he eats these potato chips or something. Okay, so generalized malaise, meaning not feeling well, and palpitations. How long has this been going on for? Oh, it's just been, like, maybe... I don't know, like maybe six hours? Any other medical problems in your uncle? Oh no, doctor, like, he's right here, you can ask him yourself, but there's nothing. Okay. And any fever, chills, cough, night sweats, nothing like that? No, doctor, I told you, nothing else going on. He has no problem except his diabetes, and he's actually been taking his medication for this one. Okay, the physical exam in a patient with generalized malaise and palpitations as this patient has presented 
really should be thorough because there's no localizing findings on the physical exam except possibly something coming from the heart. So you want to check the vital signs, looking for fever, looking at appropriate blood pressure, and you probably want to do a very thorough cardiopulmonary examination. In this patient, however, vital signs are normal, as is the cardiac exam, except for the very occasional ectopic beat. Because we know that this dialysis patient has eaten something that he shouldn't have, it could be probable that the potassium contained in whatever he ate hasn't been eliminated, especially if he's missed dialysis lately. Let's ask him about his dialysis schedule. Jorge, have you been keeping all your dialysis appointments regularly? Yeah, Dr. Bolank. Sometimes I can't get a ride to dialysis. Today is Saturday and I should have had one on Friday, but like I missed my ride to the dialysis center so I had to skip this one or something. It's actually really common that for whatever reason a patient misses a dialysis appointment and then develops hyperkalemia after that. This is why we're asking. On the other hand, a patient could still develop hyperkalemia by eating the wrong foods even if he makes all of his scheduled dialysis appointments. Let's send some lab work. Let's get the EKG right now, STAT, and we'll also send a STAT CHEM 7 panel. Actually, let's make that a CHEM 10 because I want to include electrolytes like calcium, magnesium, and phosphate, which aren't routinely done in the CHEM 7, which is the basic chemistry profile. We want to expand it a little bit to a CHEM 10, sometimes called a renal panel. Doctor, now like the EKG has come back, what do you think of this? It looks kind of like the stuff I studied in trigonometry class, like a sine wave or something. Okay, let's pause and talk about the EKG's changes that we see in hyperkalemia. As we mentioned, the primary symptom is cardiac arrest, a symptom that is best avoided. You can pick up the EKG changes of hyperkalemia before a patient goes into cardiac arrest and then treat the hyperkalemia. You see what's called peaked T waves on the EKG. That's T as in Thomas, peaked T waves. The T wave usually has a nice round top, but when it starts getting a nice pointy top, it's called a peaked T wave. As soon as there are symptoms on the EKG, we classify that as severe, regardless of what the value of the potassium is, and we treat it. So peak T waves are the first sign of hyperkalemia seen on the EKG. As the hyperkalemia worsens and the potassium gets higher, you see more and more frequent ectopic beats. Eventually you see a widened QRS complex, and then you'll see what's called a sine wave. This is just like the sine of trigonometry where it's basically an oscillating waveform. This is the precursor to cardiac arrest. When you see the sine wave, the patient needs to be treated very, very urgently. So like Dr. Jacob, like what causes hyperkalemia? Well, hyperkalemia has a lot of different causes. Uh, there can be what's called spurious hyperkalemia, which is a laboratory error. Often hyperkalemia can result from hemolysis of the blood sample. This means destruction of the red blood cells, and the intracellular potassium leaks out into the sample and actually causes a false value of hyperkalemia. In that case, the first thing you want to do when you see hyperkalemia is get an EKG, but also order a recheck of the potassium on a stat basis. If there's EKG changes, you go ahead and treat, but if there's no EKG changes, you go ahead and wait for that uh, stat potassium lab result to be repeated by the lab. Doctor, so like, 
I think you mentioned that you saw some EKG changes. What are you going to do about these for my uncle Jesus? The treatment of hyperkalemia includes three phases. The first phase is stabilizing the cardiac resting potential of the cardiac cell membranes. This means giving calcium. Calcium stabilizes the cardiac cell membranes. We use calcium gluconate 5 to 10 milliliters of 10% calcium gluconate. You can just order one ampule or one amp of calcium gluconate IV push. Don't give calcium chloride through a peripheral line. If you have a central line, you can give calcium chloride. Doctor, so like you said, there's three phases. What is the second phase? Well, the first phase was stabilizing the cardiac membrane potential. The second phase is to transiently shift potassium into cells. Again, this is a transient shift of potassium into cells. This doesn't actually get rid of any potassium from the body, but this is phase two. Phase 1 you use for immediate treatment. Phase 2 is sort of a short-term fix until you can get the potassium eliminated from the body, which is phase 3. So, Dr. Like, what are the medicines you would give to shift the potassium into the cells in phase 2? One is to give a ampule of bicarbonate IV. This alkalinizes the pH of the blood slightly, or, in fact, if the patient's already acidotic, it can bring it actually back towards normal. And there is a potassium proton ion exchanger pump on almost all cells in the body when there's an acidosis that actually causes hyperkalemia. When there's alkalosis, potassium flows back into cells and protons are returned outward into the extracellular fluids. This actually buffers that acidosis and hence the ion exchanger functions to buffer the pH of the blood. We can take advantage of this ion exchanger and give an amp of bicarbonate and actually help the hyperkalemia. This again doesn't get rid of potassium from the body, it just shifts it back into the cells. So like is there another treatment that you can do? You can give one amp of dextrose 50% IV and follow that with 10 units of regular insulin IV. Doctor, why would you give insulin? He doesn't have a sugar problem right now. Well actually, With the insulin, not only does sugar go into cells, but also potassium goes into cells. The reason we're giving the amp of D50 is to raise the blood sugar so that when we go ahead and follow it with the insulin, the blood sugar doesn't drop to very low values. So, like, it's pretty important to give that sugar before you give the insulin or something? Actually, it's a really important point. If you order both of them and the nurse gives the insulin before the sugar, you can put the patient into a... Uh, hypoglycemic state, and this can actually have very adverse events. So when you write this order, be sure to write one amp of D50 first, followed by the 10 units of IV regular insulin. Also, beta agonists like albuterol or other beta agonists shift potassium into cells, though this isn't routinely used as an emergent treatment for hyperkalemia. Dr. Lank, what's the third way? You say there are three phases. What's the third one or something? The third phase is the elimination of potassium from the body. This can be accomplished a couple of ways. Dialysis is a good one. The second way is kaexalate. Kaexalate is a polystyrene-based ion exchange resin. And this, this resin can absorb potassium ions and give back sodium ions. It's taken either orally or by rectum in the form of an enema. 
by getting the potassium ions out of the body and into the gut, which is actually not part of the body and doesn't communicate directly with the blood, this can exchange effectively the potassium for sodium, decreasing plasma potassium levels. The side effect of this one is diarrhea. However, we can give some KX late now to your uncle in the preparation that we're going to be giving dialysis soon. Doctor, like what else can you use? Aside from dialysis and KX late, you can use furosemide, which goes by the name Lasix. It's a diuretic in the class called a loop diuretic, and 20 milligrams IV push of Lasix will actually eliminate some potassium through the to the kidney. But unfortunately, in your uncle's case, because he has no good kidney function left, we won't be able to use Lasix. Instead, we'll just use dialysis. But we can also give some KX late while we're waiting for the dialysis team to arrive. Doctor, like, how can I prevent my uncle Jesus from having this problem in the future or something? Better than treating hyperkalemia is avoiding the problem in the first place. Make sure that all patients with renal dysfunction have low potassium diets. And remember that medications like ACE inhibitors and spironolactone can cause potassium retention. It's good to periodically monitor potassium in patients that are receiving potassium supplements and watch for hyperkalemia in patients with any type of acidosis, either metabolic or respiratory. So, like, does my Uncle Jesus need to be admitted to the hospital or something? Actually, yes, I think he does. And he'll need to be admitted to a monitored setting, meaning a setting where there's an EKG monitor and somebody who's able to watch that monitor and call a doctor if there's any changes. Oh, look, the lab has just paged me, and your uncle's potassium is 7.5. Wow, it's a good thing we treated him. Let's review the treatments one more time. The first phase is the antiarrhythmic to stabilize the cardiac membrane, and that's calcium gluconate, one ampule IV. The second phase is shifting potassium into cells, and that's one amp of bicarbonate IV, and one amp of D50 IV, dextrose 50%, followed by 10 units of regular insulin IV push. Remember to give the sugar before the insulin. And the third phase is to eliminate the potassium from the body. Dialysis is possible only in patients who have dialysis access, such as a tunnel dialysis catheter or an arteriovenous fistula suitable for dialysis. Without those, dialysis may not be possible, at least not until a line can be placed which is suitable for accomplishing dialysis. The next option would be K-exalate and also furosemide, the diuretic. Well, that does it for today's episode. I'm Dr. Jacob with MedPod101.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of MedPod 101. If you enjoyed the show today, there are more episodes available for purchase on the iTunes Store. Search MedPod 101 and you will find our complete episode archive split into parts 1 and 2 available for download as albums on the iTunes Store.